I am Plot on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. There's a new podcast that debuted this week, I Am Madeline. Its host and co-producer Ash Kelly joins me now to discuss it. The first episode is riveting, informative, and gives much to think about. First off, we meet Madeline. That's not a real name, but she's the name Ash and her co-producer Kelvin Golly have given her. She deserves some anonymity, as what she's going through isn't easy. Madeline leads a full, productive, and fulfilling life, helping others through a lot of unpaid volunteer work. She gives back to her community, all the while suffering through a debilitating disease, ME-CFS, myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome. Ash will tell us how difficult life is for Madeline as she struggles day to day. Her quality of life is diminished, and the treatment to make it all manageable is quite costly, to the point where it seems Madeline will not be able to afford, literally, to live for much longer. She has made the decision, thanks to MAID, Medical Assistance in Dying here in Canada, to end her life in mid-July. I ask Ash about the costs involved, and she'll break it down, as well as Madeline's frustration with the various systems around us, medical, political, as well as financial, that seem to keep her down. We're all susceptible to MECFS, but women, as well as people of color, are more so. And thanks to misogyny that Ash touches upon in our conversation, as well as in future episodes, it's uh, been largely undiagnosed and mistreated. What I found fascinating is while I was pondering the ethics of MAID, I think a humane society ought to have something like this, as we have here in Canada. There are the uh, ethical imperatives, like uh, somebody such as Madeline is considering, uh, as uh, the financial toll of her illness are too much. How this is uh, all related to long-haul COVID is something that Ms. Kelly looks at, too, not to mention how governments have treated the disabled through the pandemic. The first episode, at least, of uh, I Am Madeline is far from bleak, there's humor, as well as Madeline's bright, effervescent personality, not to mention singing voice that punctuate and illuminate the questions we as a society have to ask of ourselves. Ash Kelly is an award-winning journalist, most recently of News 1130, and before that at uh, CBC Vancouver. Since stepping away from daily journalism, she now devotes uh, a lot of her time with the business she co-founded, Dialed Bike Service. You can hear I Am Madeline through all the podcasting apps. The Twitter handle for more is at I Am Madeline Pod. And Ash can be found through at Ash D. Kelly. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Ash Kelly. Ms. Kelly, good morning. Good morning, David. Thanks for joining us. Um, I listened to the first episode, and I, I thought it was just wonderful. Um, how would you, because I, I find Madeline such a fascinating character, even just as we meet her uh, for the first time uh, in the show. Um, for, for people listening to us who haven't, uh, yet listen to I Am Madeline. How, how would you describe her as, as we first meet her? I really wanted to convey how core she is, how generous she is, but how core she is to her communities. Um, mm. In the early coverage that I did of Madeline starting in July 2020 for News 1130, that was something that just didn't fit, right? Like, there's an urgency, there's a news story, there's some accountability to be had, and you still want to tell people that the story is about a human. And the way we often do that is through voice clips, 12 seconds or so of, uh-huh. of someone's humanity. And Madeline, you know, her story is just so much more than she can fit into 12 seconds, and her value to the people around her, the people who live in her building, um, the, the places and events and things she's done and volunteered with, like, is immeasurable. 
And I think we just had to start there because it's where we left. It's where it's where I could, with what I couldn't fit in um, in the in the year's coverage. So. Yeah, I, I fell into the trap. Um, uh, like I, 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 as I was listening, I sort of worked out my feelings as to what I think about made uh, medical assistance and dying. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think it's 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 a necessary um, aspect of, of of a society. Um, but at the same time, you know, you're, you're listening to see whether this person who has decided to, to utilize it um, is, um, I hate to use the, the phrase, if, if, if they're, they're, they actually sound like they, they, they know what they're doing. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah. and, and so right away you can tell that this is someone who, who um, knows what they're doing and knows the consequences and the sort. And as I'm sure we'll, we'll listen as, as, the, as your, your show unfolds, um, what's going on in terms of, of the, the, the decision-making. Um, the, the other word that I love, because it, it's um, one that I've seen on, 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 online in terms of how she's described, effervescent. Um, I, I, that, that's mm-hmm. one of the be- best words, I think, in terms of how to describe who Madeline is, right? Well, she like very bashfully shared with me that you know that's how her friend had described her, and that's how she described it, too. She yeah. described me as effervescent and she's trying to tell us who she is because i think she she understands that you know people are not interested in stories necessarily about made as much as they are other things they're not interested in stories about the big d word disability Uh, these are things we like to look away from because they are so uncomfortable and i think there's still the places in society where we haven't really put the sunlight we haven't really acknowledged the cracks and i've learned from madeline that there are a lot more reasons people end up in the medical assisted dying system program i always struggle with the words around it too and you know saying is she scheduled to die is she planning her death like she doesn't want to die and i truly believe she doesn't have to die but like it's a it's a question of philosophy it's a question of moral value i agree made is very important in canada and around the world but there is this incredible tension as well that some of the you know the, the biggest battles over made have been fought by the disability community and for good reason because their humanity for some reason has been up for debate and that is unacceptable yeah. i don't believe that that is even a question we need to be asking anymore of course we have abundance and wealth in our society it's disparity that's the issue we need to reframe how we understand the big d word and stop yeah. being afraid of it and and she's you know she's i think like you said um and there's a brutal reality here Madeline is not a racialized person, mm-hmm. and she is of sound mind, and she fits the mold that we, you know, as a society have deemed as an acceptable person to hear from. Yeah. And that's why she doesn't want you to know her name, I think, a little bit. There's a lot of reasons why she's just Madeline and not going by her real name. Uh-huh. One of them is that she doesn't want to beg for her life. She, yeah. If there's a change that's going to come from her story, she really feels it should be bigger than her. Yeah. So under, under this with this bright personality lies this pernicious condition. Um what is it? And I, I guess I ask the question because I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to mispronounce it. Hey, that's fair. It's taken me a year, and Madeline still mispronounces it, and many people do. And it's called a lot of things. You uh-huh. will most commonly know it as chronic fatigue syndrome, but mm-hmm. it's a misnomer. And and a lot of its nomenclature is tangled up in bad history and, and the dark reality of like a misogynistic scientific community, and that people with disabilities and people with chronic illness and people with mental differences uh, and women and people of color uh-huh. have been <laughs> more experimented on than healed 
often in previous decades. And, and those the stereotypes and the the consequences of that old science being fallen back on and the people who made the science, the people who published it, and the people who made decisions about ethics back then who were people in power. And all of that persists today. So anyways, it is, as we know, like chronic fatigue syndrome, myalgic encephalomyelitis. Uh-huh. Uh, is the name that is, is so now now the most common thing you're going to hear is any slash right. CFS mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it, and it acknowledges that there are many aspects to this myalgic is of the muscles encephala is of the brain I think and mm-hmm. the spine mm-hmm. and the myelitis is a, an assumed swelling of the spinal cord in the brain um, and some of it's present in everyone and some of it's not um, some of the symptoms you know there are dozens and dozens and dozens of severe symptoms it is common. Um, most commonly associated as a with post-viral syndrome. And so you'll hear a lot of people out there with ME-CFS saying, hey, long-haul COVID is ME-CFS. Mm. Like, Why are we calling it any other name? And I have the same question. Like, if we have a base amount of knowledge in science and decades of people with lived experience, why are we just calling it long-haul COVID if it's myalgic encephalomyelitis? <laughs> See? Mm-hmm. Myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, post-viral syndrome, which you can also have, you know, there's no research, very, very little research, ostensibly no research has been done for decades. And the research that is established is contested and often harmful or predatory. And so it's very stigmatized, too. Like, how often have you heard people say, like, chronic fatigue syndrome, like, suck it up, get out of bed, you know, go to bed earlier. Everyone has a wealth of advice and snake oil to sell you. Um, but the science isn't there. And instead, often a thing, <clears throat> and acknowledging the, the, the sort of lack of investment in this disease and in other chronic diseases, you know, people still explain it away as a psychological illness, despite cellular deterioration. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, in, in Madeline's case, the, the, um, in terms of how she manages it, uh, I guess it's through uh, homeopathic means, that is quite costly, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know if homeopathic is the right word. Naturopath, you know, which were regulated, yeah, and yeah. there's a college of naturopaths. And those were big questions in the beginning, too, right? Because when I met Madeline, of course, understanding her treatment plan and her budget was a big part of getting to know her reality. I have spreadsheets of yeah. the supplements and the costs and the amount she takes and the cost per day and how that stacks up against a disability income. Um, like, when the government first got back to me, because, of course, you reach out to the ministry and Here's what we're dealing with, and what do you guys think? And can you can you chat with us and give us some comments here, right? Uh-huh. Is, there, is there anything that can be done as well? Is is an obvious question? Is this is this what we are okay with? And the answer really was, well, hey, there's coverage. You know, people with disabilities receive an annual MSP coverage, and here's what it is. And, and what it is is twenty three dollars and fifty cents, I think. I think I often say it's twenty five bucks rounded up. Yeah. Times ten, so you get ten treatments. You get a twenty five dollar coverage for each treatment. Uh, and they are to be shared between naturopaths and massage therapists and acupuncturists uh-huh. and chiropractors and all of the paramedical providers. And these are people with serious diseases. And that's it. That's where the buck stops. And we know their income for decades was less than $1,000 for yeah. a single person on disability. It is now around thirteen ninety-five. I think is what, what Madeline's pulling in. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it, not sustainable. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's one of the the more frustrating things as one listens to the the first episode, certainly, and and I'm sure we're we're going to get frustrated as as we we continue listening to the show, <laughs> because there's so many systems here at play: the medical system, the political system, the, just the financial system altogether that's around us. Um, mm-hmm. it, 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 was that something that that Madeline wanted? Uh, it, it, us to know about. I mean, is that why she's participated in, in in this show? Is because she wants us to know something about um, people that that we don't otherwise hear from. Say, yeah, maybe I'll continue a little bit by saying and help me get back on track to that question here. But I just want to sure. say, like, sure, sure, she's got it. Madeline's got this incredibly low energy window, and that's where this chronic fatigue syndrome comes in. It's mm. or post exertional malaise, and it's extreme. It means your little mitochondria, and maybe other things too, and on a whole system level, everything's not transferring energy around your body, not making energy. You can you can go outside your energy envelope, but you pay for it. Your body breaks down, and you can crash for sometimes months at a time, and, and it can further debilitate you. And so, obviously, I think that Madeline has put so many hours into speaking with me, into self-advocating, shows that how much she, she wants to live, because mm. she's hurting herself. And I think I honestly just retweeted something to that effect um, that someone else had just said on Twitter. Just like, just going to work. We have so many expectations of people and how we value them, but you can't do that when you have these diseases. Mm-hmm. And what Madeline's doing right now and advocating for everyone is work. Like, there's no joke about it. It takes energy to, for her to eat is too much energy for her body and she'll crash sometimes because of the digestive energy required. Yeah. And that's how bad things get when you're foregoing treatment because you can't afford it. You don't have to degrade, and, and there's so many incredible stories of success. I, and, I, and then I'll transition into your question, I think, by saying um, my greatest fear is speaking out of turn and, and maybe what Madeline's motives are are hers to say, and that's so hard for her to find space to say it. So she's asked me, and I think trusted me, to try to convey her motivation, so I will try to answer it at the same time, uh-huh. so acknowledging... Um, that I might miss something or not fully understand, you know. But oh. she just, it, it, she doesn't want to die. I think she does understand. She brings a lot of value to society, and she wants us to reframe the way we value people. Uh-huh. So it's not just about her volunteer work, but, like, she, you know, she, she's an, an important person. And I understand that 80% of the work that really matters in our society is not really paid work, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so we're leaning really heavily on, on what, again, that definition of normal, acceptable, able-bodied, able-brained, and of sound mind. And it, it's a high expectation um, <clears throat> to have of every single person. And I believe to each, like, their full potentiality. And I see in Madeline, you know, that she really believes in the full potentiality of people and understands what's being lost on a grander scale here. Yeah. But giving money to people with disabilities isn't an economic sinkhole it should be seen as an economic stimulus because they are just as rich and able in many ways. How often do you really use your body for your work, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and there's so many other ways people can contribute. We just have an idea of what the standard is and and, and what putting the work in is supposed to, to mean to people. Yeah, and that's what it's supposed to look like. I yeah, guess. yeah. That, that that's the the other thing is is um, what sort of society do do we want to live in? Um, yeah. W- without, um, I mean, it, it's unimaginable that we would c- consider um, a society that that doesn't include people like Madeline or, or doesn't include a place for people like Madeline. And 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 that that's the other frustrating thing is I'm listening to the show the the um, the. Uh, 
the, the middle of July, um, I guess there, there was there, there was an imperative to uh, uh, a time imperative to, to all of this. Um, so at, at this point that I'm talking to you, just as the first episode has rolled out, um, you don't know how this is going to end, do you? you in the, the story or, or the show, right? No, we don't uh, know how it's going to end. Um, but I was just saying to Madeline today, because she's feeling more hopeful and I can hear some energy in her, a treatment that she mm-hmm. just had yesterday is kicking in and she, you know, she's, she's a joyful She's so good. She's just incredible to have in your life as someone to talk to. And I, I completely forgot where I was going. What, were we, what was the question again? We don't know where it's going. Yeah. I have to believe, though. And I, I, it's like not mine to press upon her, but today she kind of agreed with me. Someone asked me, how are you dealing with this emotionally? Well, I have to believe that it's not going to happen, that she's not going to die. I, you know, it's really hard as a journalist to be like, go to a GoFundMe, help this person. It's really hard. It's like a moral ground that I was taught not to cross. Mm-hmm. And it's always been intention for me. It's like, I need to ask people to help her because I have this platform and I should use it for good, right? And that's a heck of a conundrum as a journalist to really care about someone. Um, but I, <laughs> I don't want her to die. Yeah. She's really done a lot of good work in terms of her advocacy. And, the, the you know, she's been lucky for a lot of reasons, which, again, is we have... Madeline is also has privilege, even as a person with disability, because people of color, people with disabilities that aren't as invisible as MECFS, also yeah. face all sorts of different discrimination, yeah. and they come up against a lot of stigma. Um, people with MECFS, though, like they have a very high suicidality rate among disease people with the disease, and they tell us that it's because of the isolation and the stigma, not not because of the pain. We have this picture of what someone with a disability looks like, mm. and it looks like a lot of things. It looks like you and me. It looks like Madeline. It looks like people with severe MECFS like Madeline, fully bedridden and, you know, blindfolded over their eyes because of severe light sensitivity, unable to interact with their children because of noise sensitivity, whole families torn apart and miss, missed lives, um, mostly as young women. And, yeah, we try to convey a lot of the misogyny and the stigma and, and how, you know, the past wrongs of society can be carried over, and there's there's a really dark trickle down effect when it comes to stigma. Yeah, the the um, uh, how much the medical profession knows about about this this condition is also something that that um, uh, astonished me. Um, because she, she Madeline describes in in the first episode a recent visit to a doctor, and um, there's just willful ignorance on the part of of that doctor. Um, as to what this was or what this is. Yeah, one of the early thoughts I had was, you know, you're interacting at all these different places. There's all these intersections with healthcare that people are having and begging for help, and everyone's turning a blind eye. Don't just blame doctors. Like, I interact with healthcare a lot, too, and I would want to know if my body was degrading that my physiotherapist, that my massage therapist, that my naturopath would step up and speak up and advocate to their colleges and write open letters, and I, I, you know, I, <clears throat> Madeline and I have talked a lot about why aren't we seeing that? Yeah. And, and there's a lot of um, unfortunate predatory science that has been going on in the 80s, 90s, and now, and we still see problematic doctors who claim to be any specialist and are doing harm. And um, but then, then we see in mainstream medicine, as we call, as Madeline always refers to it as allopathic medicine. I just think of it as like 
provincial medicine, yeah, yeah, right? Like yeah. just the, the doctors, people with their 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 medical degrees. Um, we we just we do see an application of knowledge, and it's not like they're not. It's it's all available if I can figure it out. You know what I mean? I have to believe that they can too. Yeah, so, so my, I don't understand it. My my first experience uh, seeing all this was was on an episode of the Golden Girls, which is featured in in the first episode. Um, the B. Arthur character Dorothy realizes that she she has something and and tries to figure out what it is. Um, th- that aired probably what thirty thirty five years ago now. Um, yeah, I think I found nineteen eighty nine. Nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. So so how. Um, how much better do you think the the, the medical profession is at, at uh, recognizing this? Because it, it doesn't From what seem. I hear, yeah, I would just like encourage everyone. Like it's just you know make it go on the Twitter and there's so many incredibly deeply you know informative hashtags around this. Just hashtag MECFS, and you'll see it. most people who try to find a doctor to help them really struggle and they're misdiagnosed and um, given harmful uh, prescriptions of uh, generalized exercise therapy, which when you have a cellular mitochondrial disease like this, that degrades you, that hurts you, that that borrows from your your life, that that really can make you bedridden for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, people are still given, you know, there's a, one of the most famous documentaries on this is Unrest, and it's a young woman named Jennifer Bria who has also done a brilliant TED Talk on this, and she, you know, in the prime of her, you know, just after her marriage and um, just about, I think, graduating from Harvard, and, and she's just wiped out by this disease. And she, her, through a series of misdiagnoses, she, you know, ultimately comes up with a diagnosis of conversion therapy, which, you know, this is in the 2000s, and um, this, is a, this is a recent story, and conversion therapy is just another way of saying hysteria. It's all yeah, in your head. Yeah, yeah. You made it up. And that happens a lot. That you know, globally, people's civil rights are being taken away from them because their government and medical systems consider them um, psychologically unwell, and they have, they're being institutionalized against their will. And and those stories are told already in documentaries. These are not hard things to learn. Yeah. yeah. The uh, by the way, is each episode going to have a, a title with a sound of music reference? <laughs> What luck was that? The process of this episode was like every three weeks throwing everything out and starting again. Like, yeah. where do you even begin? Um, and like, one of Madeline is a totally a singer. She sings all the time, and we don't have a lot of tape of her singing. Uh-huh. Um, and even there, it's a, she she calls it like a very conversational, you know, song because she's not really belting it out. She is a performer. She she has a theater background and. Um, it would be incredible to <laughs> to get her to dig into it, but you know, the, with the podcast too, it's hard because you don't you don't want to infringe on copyright. Sure. Yeah. If you're trying to find sound that's you know old, maybe because it's out of trademark copyright laws, and find things that you know there's forgiveness and fair comment to a point, uh-huh. and you know the Sound of Music Broadway one happened to be 70 years old, so I could use it. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if that's going to be a, a yeah maybe that'll be all we can ever find, but. The, it's all, you know, it, it's really, I like to make the podcast that I would want to hear. Yeah. Because I understand that it's hard to get people's attention, and I, I don't want to waste anyone's time. So these are the kind of podcasts I like to listen to, and, uh, yeah. Do you have an idea of how many episodes this will run? No. Yeah, because you said, like, we don't know how it ends. Yeah. Um, Madeline uh, is planning her death in July, but her money runs out in June, and in her mind, like, as soon as her treatment stops, her body 
is going to crash. And last time her body crashed, her heart really went crazy, and, mm. and she had what she considers a heart attack, much like her grandmother did. And in telling how her grandmother died of this disease, she believes, you know, she's really, I think, unfortunately foreshadowing what she thinks will happen to her when treatments stop. And I mean, she really has chosen to spend this time with our audience and, and walk us through it. So I don't know how many episodes it will be, but I also know that there is a space for you know, storytelling in this realm of, yeah. um, of inclusion and ability and social isolation and all the things this crosses over with, including so-called long-haul COVID. So I don't see it ending. Like, so long as, as we're able, um, yeah. I, I think there's a space for it. And uh, you, you produced the, the show with Kelvin Gawley, and he tweeted the other day um, a, a link to the transcript of, of, of the, the first episode, which I thought was a, was, was a great way to make it all the more accessible because, I mean, um, not everybody can listen to podcasts, and, and so this is a great way to, to read it, if you will. Yeah, and thank you to Kelvin for being, you know, always being that inclusive and trying to be open to anything and, that we can do. And we're still, you know, there are probably other ways we can make it more inclusive. Um, and we're just doing this, like, you know, we're just doing this independently. We don't, we haven't even, you know, we'd love to put together a cash flow and get out a loan and get, get something off the ground that's sustainable. Like, I, you know, I'm a small business owner and I know there's potential here, but right now we're just doing it because it needs to be done. Yeah. And so he's putting a lot of energy into it, and we're open to, to you know feedback about how we can do better with that always. But Kelvin brings magic to this. You know, he's an, he's an investigative journalist, uh, I think, at heart, and he brings thought and and integrity to to all of it. So having him on the team just couldn't ask for a better partner. Now, um, we, you mentioned uh, your work at News 1130. I you know I remember you from from uh, your time at the CBC before that. Um, you announced recently that you were walking away from, from um, News 1130 to pursue other things. Was it a hard decision on your part to leave journalism, say? Yeah, it's been really hard, and it's like journalism is such a part of my identity, and my partner keeps telling me, like, you're still a journalist, but I don't know if I am. I know I, you know, I do, I do a lot of things. I run a bike shop now, and I um trying to be a bigger part of my mountain bike community, which is really core to me, and there are just stories there are stories that need to be told and um journalism in a way it's a tool and a standard I hope to always adhere to but like for me I think I don't know do, is it okay for me finally to step up and be like I'm also an ally and an advocate and, and I want to use my voice a little bit differently and I think that's what I'm stepping into and that's really hard oh my gosh that's hard like journalism is you know there's a standard to which we do things it's set internationally we have expectations of each other there are judgments and expectations we have and you know we we feel a certain way about journalism step way into communication we can't cross back can you and what, what about politics and what does it all mean and to me when i went into journalism it was because it felt like a good place to do good mm-hmm. and i think it is i just don't know if it's like i just think maybe my voice is is different and maybe i can do something like that but in my way and it's scary, but um, I, 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 again, like it's, uh, and it's a privilege. I also acknowledge it's a privilege, and and journalists work hard. You know, I recently was in a space where I encountered someone who dropped the fake news bomb, and and uh, mm. you know, like in a really aggressive way, like accusing us, you know, as a as a general media entity of of being, you know, corrupt and untrustworthy, basically sure, yeah. and, and fake. 
like, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. And it hurt. Everyone everyone outside on this patio looked at me like, what are you going to do? And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. And I just said, and I mean it so deeply, it's just um, everyone is working so hard in journalism to do the right thing and to do good. And I have never seen anything else. Like I've never encountered anything but people trying. And everywhere, there's a lot of places we can do better. There's a lot of privilege to be acknowledged, a lot of voices not being heard. Um, and I think like there are people in power in journalism that maybe aren't seeing that that groundswell is coming from like the ranks, like the rank and file. Uh-huh. Um, but I see it changing. I mean, look at the Overstory Media Group, and what I see is just like a, a shift, a shift of seemingly journalists of of my tenure and generation saying like I I think we can do something different. Yeah. And that's really exciting. I think I, uh, my, my earliest experience in journalism was under Aaron Miller at the Discourse, oh, at yeah, Discourse yeah. Media. Uh-huh. Um, and I learned a lot about being collaborative, open-minded, and, and seeing where we needed to shift and looking internationally to, to more independent media structures and how can we get away from you know the ad structure of... Um, and I don't, really what we're missing here in Canada is big foundations and families of money. Yeah. That was what I kind of also took away from it. But, but people are succeeding. And we can, unfortunately, it still comes from privilege, right? You still have to have money to make money. Yeah. And we still have to make money to survive and tell stories. Well, I'm going to make another Sound of Music reference. I think um, that um, you and Kelvin and, and Madeline especially, I, I think, are, are doing something good. Um, here and uh, I can't wait for for um, how this will unfold and and for for other episodes as they roll out. I so appreciate your time today, Ash. Uh, congratulations on this and and uh, all the best. Thanks, Joe. It was really great chatting with you. Uh, thanks for for letting me get passionate <laughs> and, and giving space to, to these kind of voices. And um, again, I think uh, you know um, Maura uh, Whiten at the Taiyi just interviewed myself and uh-huh. I know she's going to be speaking with Madeline and you know there's her voice is worth listening to every second of your time so the uh, Twitter handle for the I am Madeline podcast is at I am Madeline pod and Ash Kelly can be uh, found through at Ash D Kelly Ash Kelly joined me on the line from North Vancouver in Vancouver I'm Joseph Plantum